symptoms for concussion and symptoms for COVID, we know that process now, right? Like we know how to do symptom tracking. We know how to do return to play. This is Aaron Gieser, the executive director of the Ontario Football Alliance, and you are listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Dakota and I have a very special guest joining us today, being February 21st. When you're hearing this, he will be the new executive director of the Ontario Football Alliance. Joining us today, we have Aaron Giesler. Aaron, how are you doing, sir? Great. I mean, I was saying this earlier, I'm going to pretend I'm not a fan during this podcast and uh, I'll just answer your questions straight up. And no, I honestly, I appreciate you guys having me on anytime to talk football, especially nowadays when it's harder to talk football and more administrative stuff. I'm, I'm excited, man. This is this is good. Well, it's an absolute pleasure having you uh, join us today, um, you know, for a little background uh, from the London, grew up in the London area, went to Western. It's a bit of a beef eaters reunion with you and Dakota here. Uh, spent some time coaching with uh, the University of Ottawa, working with Football Canada for the past, you know, eight so years. And now you're making this this jump to the OFA. Um, you know, we can kind of get into some of the things you did with Football Canada, but just from the jump in this new role you're taking on, and we were kind of talking before we started recording that even though the official date of your um, of you taking on the new position is is the 22nd of February, you've kind of already been, you know, active. So just off the, to get it started, what are some of the things, what's your, you know, main objective sort of starting things off that you're looking at doing in Ontario? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it has to be about how we tackle the issue of returning to football because of COVID-19. Um, I mean, it's on the forefront of everything that we're doing in all of sport across the country, and it's no different here in Ontario. Um, you know, we we were able just you know thank thank goodness the Ontario uh, you know numbers started to go down, so we're starting to see the ability for regions to start to creep back into whether it's green or yellow or orange. Some of us are still in red, or if you're in the GTA, unfortunately, still a couple more weeks, but. You know, there's, there's starting to be a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still a lot of challenges ahead for us to be able to, to get programming. So the first and foremost thing is, you know, how can we get any type of programming that is football, that is out for the community so that we can get kids out and active and, and get the football in their hand? That's uh, of the utmost uh, priority for me right now. But above and beyond that, you know, the big thing for us in, in the province is creating alignment, creating as much alignment from grassroots, all the way up to the OUA, CFL, and then beyond, right? Like we want people to be active for life, playing flag football, um, you know, be able to be a part of the game, coaching, officiating. And for us to do that successfully in Ontario, we have to work in collaboration. You know, it's a big province. The problem that we have here is is that uh, capacity is a big issue a lot of the times. And we have, you know, big centers. We have really small centers. We're very far apart in a lot of places. So, you know, creating a common sense of what is the objective for us in football to get, you know, the kids to the place that they want to be. And, and that might not always be the CFL or the OUA, um, but, you know, that might just be, you know, sticking in the game for as long as they can. And, uh, you know, that has to be done through working together and collaboration. And I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, if we put our mind to something, set some goals and work together, we can accomplish that. And, you know, we have a lot of challenging times ahead of us for sport in general, but football specifically. And, um, you know, it's going to take all of us to be able to figure that out and kind of move forward. So speaking with everyone is great. That's why it's great to be able to talk football because, 
the big thing is getting feedback and getting getting people's ideas and uh, kind of throwing it all on the board and seeing what sticks and seeing how we move forward. So, well, I mean. Dakota and I have definitely on different episodes thrown out ideas or things that we think can be improved. But as you mentioned, obviously, none of that stuff matters if we're not actually playing the game. So as you said, getting these kids and not just the kids, even the pros back on the field, because it's obviously all kind of intertwined. It it, kind of trickles down a little bit from the CFL. That's obviously number one. But of course, you you know, you're mentioning the the, concerns about COVID and safety being the sort of main priority. When you were with Football Canada, a big project that you uh, sort of championed and led there was the, the safe contact program there. And, and obviously, when we talk about safety in that field, we're more kind of talking about the on the field concussion helmets, that type of thing versus, you know, dealing with a, uh, you know, pandemic causing virus. But I, I'm curious from the work you did with that, and maybe it's just, you know, mixing up the idea of safety in two different fields. But I'm wondering, is there anything you kind of look to in your experience with safe that you did work doing the safe contact project that you know has any wheels spinning in your head regarding things that might be able to help us get through or get back on the field uh during the you know what we're currently dealing with so i mean first off zach you're exactly right that those two things are directly related um so interesting fact basically the past year of my existence at football canada has been almost solely focused on return to football so and that you know it's a little tougher at the national level because you're looking from coast to coast. Each province is completely different, understanding kind of where everyone's at. But, you know, in relation to safe contact, our ability to, to return back to sport safety in a pandemic is no different than basically returning back to, to sport after injury and being able to, one, basically prevent injury or prevent transmission of COVID-19 and two, be able to manage injury and be able to manage if there is a, a case that actually uh, comes up in the community. So those things are very related. And for us, the big piece, a lot of the times in any prevention is, is education. So we're very lucky that uh, the government, uh, both at the federal and provincial level, have actually done a pretty good job of, of providing a ton of education content that we can put out to people. Um, sometimes, it, you know, it's, that's the biggest hurdle that we have to get educating parents, coaches, administrators. How do we actually get on the field? Like, what do we need to do to get on the field? What do we need to do to prevent transmission? Cause we all want to be on the field and we all want to make sure that everybody's safe. So that's kind of the first thing. And um, you know, from there, then it's about, okay, so we have this education of what we need to do. How do we actually do it on the field? Safe contact was no different, right? We were teaching coaches, but then we had to actually put it into practice, give give coaches practice plans and and, and actual drills and videos and, and and get it so that the, the athletes were taking it in. For return to football and COVID, it's the same thing. You know, being able to provide standardized templates on safety sport plans, uh, you know, being able to provide uh, documentation on on the the symptoms, you know, symptoms for concussion and symptoms for COVID we know that process now, right? Like we know how to do symptom tracking. We know how to do return to play. So it's all very intertwined. And uh, I actually would like to think that the model that we were able to build through safe contact and safe contact is constantly evolving as we know, especially with more research as it comes out and ideally more Canadian research. But the big thing there is just having an infrastructure in place that can allow us to address both prevention and management so that that's that's been built in which is good for us as as we move forward so 
Um, so I'm going to jump a little bit off topic here, um, but it's on topic for what Zach and I have been discussing for the past forever. Um, just because you were talking about uh, safe contact, and obviously I think every coach ever has to kind of do those programs and kind of figure out stepping away from the old, you know, hit with your head and, and really kind of focus on the player's safety. But obviously Zach and I have been talking about mental health forever and on the podcast for the last uh, month or so. Do you see from the administration side of Canadian football room or maybe already plans to kind of implement you know some basic level training for how coaches can deal with a player's actual mental health and not just focus on them as bodies that are supposed to hit and run the football yeah that's a great point so there's a couple pieces so through the national coach certification program and through some of the training that coaches are able to do um, you know we do address the ability for coaches to be able to handle certain situations that um, are related to the athlete's health, especially their mental health. Right. So um, there is a module specifically around, um, sorry, I'm losing the word here. It's mental training basically. And the idea is to be able to address the athlete's ability to handle stressful situations and working through it. So there's a piece of that that exists on the other side, the NSO. So football Canada has been working with partners lately um, specifically over the past year to be able to try to find more adapt training, not only for coaches, but directly for the athletes to be able to utilize. So we worked with a partner called elite neurokinetics. Um, one of their uh, specific portfolios around safety is the idea of dressing mental health. So obviously the pandemic really put mental health to the forefront because one of the things that we were, we were being um, told is, is that athletes uh, were struggling, not just because of the, the general mental health factor of being in a pandemic, but losing that connection to coaches. One of the things that was uh, readily available, we did a pretty wide ranging study. We had almost I want to say 5,000 participants or something like that through our partner ENK. And what was brought back to us is that that relationship between a player and a coach is actually really crucial to the well-being of the athlete. So it, it goes directly to what you're saying, Dakota, is that we need to strengthen the coach to handle situations like that. And I think there's more work to be done as we learn and as it's more in the forefront. Um, but the big thing is about collecting the information to, to, what are the areas that we need to address? And right now, specifically, it's the idea that the athletes on a general basis are struggling not being able to participate in their sport and struggling because they're missing out on that, um, maybe that leadership role in their life that can help guide them through tough times. Because, I mean, you guys know, you become an adult and you think you can figure it out as you're an adult. And it's not really true, right? Like we need we need leaders in our life that maybe have gone through something, even as adults. So kids or, or teens, they need that more than anyone, right? You face a situation and you're not really sure how to guide yourself through. And there needs to be somebody there to be able to guide you through or at least help you, right? Because we don't, adults don't have all the answers either. But uh, um, I think that's a really big piece to it for sure. Well, on, on the point you raised about the impact of the coach, and uh, I'm sure we can all name off the coaches that were, you know, not the most impactful, not necessarily in terms of X's and O's, but just that the same way a great teacher can just leave that lasting feeling of like, I learned something outside of just what, you know, this date in history was or what, you know, two plus two equals. Um, and we've all, and me, lowest on the totem pole here, but have had some experience coaching. But to knowing some conversations from I've had with Dakota, even pre-pandemic, we're talking about state of football in Ontario. It seems like there's been a bit of 
a, a decrease in, in numbers, at least perhaps more in the, in the GTA area. And obviously, going back to the elephant in the room, you know, take care of the pandemic, get players on the field. That's number one, whomever it, it is. But did it seem like there was a bit of a, a a decrease in numbers in the years kind of leading up to this? Is Or am I just sort of seeing a partial story here and not getting the full glimpse of it what, what's your take on just the the raw numbers of football participation in Ontario or perhaps specifically in GTA if you know more specifically about that yeah so one of the things that we uh, I'll be upfront with we have to be better at is is our analytics around the sport um, and that kind of comes down to alignment so I'll, I'll mostly be speaking a little bit from from the basis of, of the numbers that we have and probably more from uh, experience and, and what I'm seeing out in the, in the community. So, uh, you know, we have generally seen either a steady, um, you know, no increase in tackle football or a slight decrease. Um, and on the non-contact side have seen a steady increase. So there's kind of two sides of the story. One, in sport in general, we are having a harder and harder time getting volunteers. Um, and that is just a general a phenomenon that's happening in Canada for a variety of reasons. And I think as you guys know, it's hard to volunteer sometimes, right? Like we're busy people. There's a lot of things on our plate. We want to be able to provide back to the community and give and give value, but there's a lot of different things that are pulling us away from being able to do those things, right? Work, work-life balance is hard enough. Um, so you add in volunteering and you know, it becomes a struggle for some people. So that is an issue that we have to address. How can we make it easier for individuals to want to participate as a volunteer? And I don't, there's no really good answer. I think there's some, some good examples out there from other sports. Uh, but that's first and foremost has to be addressed. How do we get more people out? You know, for, for me, as an example, I only started coaching really because somebody that I knew tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, I'm going to drag you out, right? Like I'm going to drag you out to coach. And then I fell in love with it. And it was, it was as simple as that, but we need people to be able to tap people on the shoulder and pull them into the, into the realm. And that's not just coaching either. You know, that's officiating too. You know, I, I was having a great conversation with the officials and sometimes we forget about this. The officials are pretty crucial parts of this game in the sense that if we want to run games, we need officials and they're in the same boat where they're, they're having a tough time getting people out um, for a variety of reasons. Right. But one of the things that, we forget sometimes is they're one of the only people that actually get paid on the field. And it's actually a pretty, pretty alluring spot to be able to be us coaches don't really, don't really get that very often. Right. We're usually paying money out of our pockets to be able to coach. Um, so there is that. And I think one of the other things is that um, we have to be cognizant in our sport that we're not burning ourselves out. Um, we have a lot of uh, football in the province, which isn't a bad thing. But we have to be aware that sometimes we have coaches or athletes that are coaching or playing in multiple seasons in a year. And that can be tough on the strain of a coach. I know I coach university, summer, and then did camps in between. By the time that year was done, I was exhausted. Um, and, you know, and that's a big piece of it. So I think we have to be cognizant of how we are structuring our approach to developing football so that we're not burning people out. And that goes for both athletes and coaches. You know, the piece you raise about officiating is interesting because in so many of these conversations Dakota and I have had either in um, recently or when we had a series of episodes we did in the later latter part of 2020 um, talking about the life after football, you know, the identity of a football player is such a it's such a 
you know, it, it, it affects you so deeply. It's something so personal. And then when, when you're done with the game, people, you know, maybe you go into coach or you go uh, into personal training because that's obviously so affiliated or you start a podcast or whatever. Just something to stay close to the game because it's been so connected. And But it's interesting you, you raise a point that the officiating is another example of perhaps how this stream of keeping people connected to the game once they can no longer play it. Um what I'm I'm curious though because you spend so much time working for on the national level, uh, observing football coast to coast, um, and during this past year, I don't know the full how the protocols have differed, but I know in in Quebec things have been you know just just say it the plainly it have been quite different from here, and I know that there has been more participation in, in sports like football going on there. Have there been any lessons or things that you can draw from seeing how they've been dealing with um, the pandemic in the past however many months, pro- trying to be a little more proactive in running their sports? Maybe proactive is not the right word, but that is perhaps guide you in, in what uh, we're trying to do here in Ontario? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that you know, each province has been very different in their approach. And, uh, um, but there are pockets that have been similar. So for example, Saskatchewan and Alberta and Quebec at the start, we're, we're, we're fairly in line uh, with their approach. Uh, Ontario, BC, Manitoba, we're fairly in line. And then obviously the East Coast was very aligned because of their, their geographical um, uh, location to each other. One of the things that we saw early on is that at West, they were able to find a pathway back to tackle football. Um, and a lot of that and everything actually is all in, uh, indicative of what the government will allow you to do. So currently here in Ontario, we have a pathway back for most of our delivery of our sport, but right now there is no pathway back for contact sports in the province. Mm-hmm. And that's not just contact football, that's contact hockey, that's rugby, that's contact lacrosse. Um, and one of the biggest things that we have to be able to do is figure out what that pathway back is. Cause I know you guys like to talk OUA a lot. I'm a, obviously a big OUA fan. We, you know, we need OUA back this fall, but that can only happen if the government is going to allow us to be able to have contact football. Um, so in saying that one of the things that we were able to see at least is that out in the wild it can work that we can have contact sports back. So Saskatchewan and Alberta were able to do it for uh, several months last, um, both kind of the end of summer into the fall, but it was modified. And this is the thing that we have to be very cognizant here in Ontario is that even if we do get contact football back, hopefully sooner than later, we're going to have to be open-minded as we've ever been that six aside, nine aside, you know, modifications like that, maybe, you know, it's, it's not even full, full 60 minute games. You know, we have to be aware that we have to be open to any possibility to have contact football back in Alberta. They were playing. And aside in Saskatchewan, they started with six, we're able to work to 12. So that's, you know, that's where we sit right now, basically. Well, you know, obviously looking province to province is a great proxy for how we in Ontario can get back on the field for the obvious reason being in the same country. But I'm curious what lessons perhaps you take from the way in the States or in other professional leagues have been able to, um, whether football or in other sports, have been able to adjust their 
um, their gameplay or their protocols that might be able to lend some insight into how we can get things rolling back here. Are there any things that you found particularly insightful? So one of the things that's great about um, the relationships that we've built in Canada is that we've, at least at the Football Canada level and now at the Ontario level, we've been working pretty collaboratively with the CFL and with the U Sports and with the OUA. Um, and other NSOs. So we were able to get some information from Hockey Canada around how they, they did the World Juniors, right? So there is definitely a lot of insight around um, ways that we can get the sport back. And to be quite honest with you, especially at the higher level, it really comes down to the financial means that you have for the most part, because a lot of the policy and procedure that you need to implement to do events safely or to do travel safely, it really does come down to the, the, the level of budget that you have to be able to implement. You know, PPE is not cheap. Testing is not cheap. Uh, you know, to be able to modify your schedule, especially if you're talking CFL, where potentially you have to, you know, reduce fan engagement by X percentage at, at the stadiums reduces revenue, right? So as, you know, I know from firsthand, people are working tirelessly to get these sports off the ground. And a lot of the times it comes down to government restrictions, money is a big thing. And then, um, you know, it just depends on how scalable your sport is, right? So the, the more local you can be, the more likely you are, you are to be able to get things off the ground. You know, for example, Football Canada Cup this year, you know, is, is normally an 18 tournament from eight provincial bodies coming into one spot. The, the Our best option right now, which we're an option like H or whatever letter we want to use, we are, uh, you know, looking to, to have cross provincial play wherever we can. So it's, it's about bringing it as local as you can the best way possible. And that's, you know, you look at the bubbles that worked, it's because of close proximity, right? And um, the NFL and is obviously a different beast because like I said, budget is not necessarily one of their big, their big pieces, right? So that, those are the things that we've learned, but, you know, in terms of understanding just, you know, restrictions and policy procedure, there's been a lot of really good insight or, or not only insight, but actually resources being provided to to the national sport organizations that have downloaded down to the local groups. So, so if we look at the, at the university level specifically, because um, obviously that, that that's our, our, our biggest focus, even though we have love for the sport uh, all yeah. at all stages, have there, has there been any word from university administrators themselves in regards to, if you know, if we figure out the the safest way to return to play, I imagine that the universities themselves still have some say whether they want, you know, that to to pick up. I mean, I don't really know exactly what um, you know what what the current state is with with uh, with schools in terms of what they're trying to do in terms of facilities or, or anything like that. But is there any been any conversation in regards to what the universities? in Ontario or elsewhere in Canada are actually trying to do to be able to get football back? Is it really just once, you know, you guys in Canada football or football Canada kind of get things straightened out that they're going to jump on board or is that, or there, is there another piece to it in terms of the universities? Well, from what I can say for sure is that they're all working um, with, with everything they can to figure out a pathway back. The thing that we have to understand with universities too, is that there is a separate layer um, you know, the actual administration of the university, the, you know, above and beyond the athletic departments um, that make decisions about, you know, not just sport, but when kids can actually be, you know, fully in class and, and being participating. So I think the, 
along with obviously understanding what the government will allow this allow them to do, understanding what the sport is able to do within those restrictions. The other piece is, you know, being cognizant that universities are not just sport bodies, but they're, you know, a bigger picture there. And that sometimes it may be difficult for them to ask a student athlete to do something that they, they're not going to ask a regular student body to do. Right. So they have to kind of navigate the idea of, okay, if we're going to ask a, a student athlete to come in when we're saying to our regular student body, you can stay home and take classes, but you have to be in person. I think that's a piece that, that they're, they're dealing with right now as well. Also universities, like any government entity, as you might know, are risk adverse, right? Like they have to take every precaution that they can to make sure that they are mitigating risk. Right. And so, um, that makes the the bar a little bit higher for a lot of organizations um, to be able to, to do the things. But, you know, there's really good examples right now that as soon as restrictions started to lift, programs were able to get back into training. And so they're, they're at least showing that there is there is a will and a, and a want to, to get back. Um, like I said, though, the toughest thing will will be about um, distance, right? Like getting getting to places to play games and, and, and you know, probably trying to figure out a way to be more localized at specifically the e-sports level. Yeah. You know, as, as you kind of already mentioned, and as, as we all know, different parts of the province are uh, going through the, you know, safety measures at different speeds based on, you know, any number of factors in terms of return to play. Uh, you know, you kind of already mentioned it. Certain uh, areas are able to get you know, into the gym maybe or certain protocols. Um, and on the surface that might, you know, and Dakota and I being based out of Toronto, you think for, you know, in the downtown core, you know, it's going to be a lot or it's going to be a, a, a longer time till we're able to do things like that than in, say, a place like London or in in, in Kingston or any place that's a little more rural. Um, I guess my, my question about that or just kind of common is is as far as and because and, with that perhaps comes an imbalance if a certain school is able to get their players into the gyms into the film room, things like that before another team. And so that might be able to, might create a bit of an imbalance, but I guess almost philosophically, part of my curiosity of this is, does that really matter as much as we need just like football backs? Is it, so do we need everyone at the same level or do we just say, Hey, you know what? I, we get it. Things are a little different in the part of the province you're at, but just understand that, you know, the, you know, people at this part of the province, they're, they're able to do some things. Let's let them roll with it. I know it might create a little bit of an unfair thing, but we just we need people playing football. We need people participating in football events. So does that fairness really matter in this situation right now? Or do we need everyone kind of on a similar plane? So it depends what level you're talking about. Right. So, I mean, here's the reality. Uh, if we're talking about amateur football in general, I think we would all agree. Anything, anything and everything. Right. Especially because. You know, although there's some light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines, hopefully that speeds up a little bit uh, for all of us uh, sake. But, you know, the the other thing is, is we don't know what's happening with the variants. And, and, you know, there is a lot of research out there that, you know, April, May, June could hold another, you know, pretty big surge of, of COVID. So for us, it's about getting anything we can safely as we can while we have the time so that if we are able or the best case scenario happens, we can move forward. Now let's talk OUA though. Um, well, and I guess it still relates to everything in general. If we watch the NFL season this year, I'm a diehard Niners fan. Uh, I'm pretty sure we had about 8,000 injuries this year. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that you need an, a 
very, very important period of time prior to competing to get yourself physically in shape to compete at the level that you need to compete at. So, you know, if we're able to get to a position where we can have any sort of especially university level or CGFL level football in the province, we need to ensure that everybody has the, uh, you know, the, the time necessary to get their bodies right. Because, you know, anyone who's played this game knows if you, if you especially at that level, if you go in not prepared um, to the level that you need to be, you know, you can seriously get hurt, right? Or, you know, with the, that competitive imbalance becomes a big piece of it. So there's two pieces to it, you know, and I like to sit on the fence sometimes every once in a while, but uh, no, legitimately it's, it, we got to get everything we can, but we also have to be cognizant of that if we do get a, to a spot where we want people to compete at that level, we got to give them time so that everybody's at that level playing field or else um, it's going to be worse for us in, in, in the end. Well, you mentioned something in there about the best case scenario. So I, the last question I have, and hopefully maybe this, this ends things with a bit of a, an optimistic viewpoint, is it, what would the best case scenario look for look going forward? Obviously, we, we know, you know, vaccinations and stuff like that, but perhaps with, with an actual, maybe not a precise timeline, but a, an idea of kind of the beats moving forward to having football back, what does that best case scenario look if only perhaps just vaguely yeah so the way that um we've both received the information from the provincial government as well as some of the trends that if they ideally were to follow the best case scenario this spring and summer is is going to be local it's going to be non-contact it's going to be getting guys training participating um if we can get vaccination rolling out so that there's a widely available vaccine by september you know, there's a, there's a chance that we could have contact football back, whether it's late September or, um, you know, maybe for a couple months before, you know, we hit that Canadian ice winter thaw that we have, um, you know, across the board. So that's best case scenario. The, you know, the language that we have from the government is, is that contact sport will come back when there is a widely available vaccine. Um, but what that means is pretty unclear at this point, to be quite honest. So we have to plan for best case scenario, but we also have to plan for worst case scenario. Um, and, I, you know, I, I want to end on a positive note because, you know, I really believe that, yes, there's a lot of challenges with the pandemic. There's a lot of challenges that we face as a sport, but the pandemic has forced us to think outside of our box. And I am a big believer that when we are pushed into uncomfortable situations will actually come out better on the other side. You know, we've for a long time said that non-contact needs to grow in this country because it's a great way to get kids at the early age involved. And now we have no choice. You know, there's the other thing is, is that we want modified tackle football to be pre prevalent across this country as well, because small rural, rural communities might struggle to play 12 aside, but six aside might be a great option. Well, now we might not have a choice. And, you know, it makes us rethink how we are aligning as organizations, as you know, people who promote the sport, um, that we can collaboratively work together because we have no choice. We have to do this so that our sport can thrive. Um, so I think there's a lot of positive to it as well. And it's going to take a lot of work from all the stakeholders involved in the game to be able to drive this game forward. And the reality is we play a, we play a pretty big role in the sporting community in general because we influence a lot of kids um, and hopefully we can influence more as we go forward to be able to get active, get out in the community and, and, and just be 
good citizens, right? Like Dakota, I know you talked about mental health. You know, I think one of the other big pieces of what sport does for us is helps to build leaders in the community, especially football, right? Like you guys wouldn't be doing the things that you're doing today if it wasn't probably for, you know, the the values instilled in you in your experience with both the game and, and with the people involved in the game. And, you know, I give you guys kudos because a lot of the things that we want to be able to do is just promote the, the good things in this game and take good hard looks at where we can be better. I think that's really important to be able to get called out every once in a while and say, Hey, here's an area where we could probably do better. So Dakota, I look forward to you calling me out and telling me what we can do better. You can start right now too. You just let me know what's you got to throw me a hard question. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to change ways. I'm trying to not. <laughs> oh, trying not. okay. I'll wait. I'll wait till Twitter, though. Right? Is that is that how we're gonna do it? I'm more of a attack the CFL and the CFL fans on Twitter okay. because because right. they 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 think that the league is perfect, and I think that there's zero marketing and zero promotion and terrible production of games. The game itself is great if you watch it, but I mean, same same with OUA. I'm sure you've heard that you know production's terrible, marketing's terrible. Sorry, not terrible for the OUA non-existent <laughs> so i could agree to disagree and and here's the thing i actually think can can things be done a lot better yeah for sure um i'll say this i, I gotta give the oua a lot of credit for for putting their necks out to do streaming through all the schools and and to get that off the ground i think that will pay dividends in the long run um assuming maybe we could take that platform that they've built on the stream and be able to get it onto some sort of national broadcast or provincial like it was broadcast. before like it was before, right? There's hey, there's a there's a lot of things there that uh, make it hard, right? Um, but the other thing I'll say on the CFL side, man, going to a game is is something that you know, especially done well. Have you been to a Red Blacks game recently? In no, the past? I'm, oh, I'm, so, I'm still in Toronto, so I just uh, be so I'll I'll say this: you got to get to an Ottawa Red Blacks game. They've figured out how to do game day experience and to get young people out and be able to be involved in the game. So I think it might be a market to market thing, and I think that the CFL moving forward, assuming we can you know get through this pandemic, um, I think that they're going to have to modify and and take new approaches. And I think they recognize that, but I think there are certain markets that that have a good idea of how to do it. But you're in a market where there's a million different things going on. Yeah. So I, I mean, can see where it B- BC and Edmonton, I'm pretty sure they said like free for kids under 16 for opening day or something like that. And I've said it time and time again, whether it's on Twitter or on air or to the kids that I coach, it's like, if you just get them in the door to enjoy it. If you, if you go to, and even in BMO field, I mean, seats are empty production's not amazing but if you're just watching the game itself cfl is top-notch football i mean we can all agree on that but if you're you have to same with oua i mean yes they have their streaming things we have to go so far out of your way to find it where if i if i go on this the nfl season is not even happening if i go on my phone right now i guarantee i can find an nfl highlight like that but you can't find that for cfl it's not it's not shoved in kids faces as much as it necessarily should be for a generation and including my generation that has a zero attention span it just you need to get them in the door, and that means you kind of have to get in their face on social media. And especially in Toronto, you're right. I mean, we have the Raptors, and we have the Leafs who are actually doing well right now, and the Jays, and every other possible sport, and every other possible thing. So yeah, it's great. I mean, I would love to go to Mosaic Field and watch this Rough Rider game. I'm sure I've seen it. That looks insane. Yeah. But for the kids in Toronto, I mean, the fact that tickets are fifteen dollars or something like that, like why not? Why not sponsor like a. a community program just bring them in for one day i'm sure that like five of those kids will become fans out of the 50 and that's five fans you didn't have before 
see, and this is the idea. This is it. So I'll pull, I'll pull it back to the Ontario perspective for a second. One of the things that we uh, are really focused on is finding ways to drive youth programming, specifically with branding. Like we have a program called CFL Futures, but pandemic kind of halted things like that. We need to get kids with logos on them, with understanding, getting to be able to see some of these Canadian guys who are in the league that are from their region that play in their area to expose them. I and mean, there's nothing better than be able to see, you might not even know who that person is, but to know that a CFL player came to your field and that's going to spark some interest. So I think as much as I agree, social media and, and media marketing, that's a big piece. We need to be on the ground interacting with these kids and getting footballs in their hands and, and introducing them to their, potential future idols that they can watch on the field and um, amateur football has to play a big role in that. We have to be a driving force in, in delivering that content to those kids because we're the ones that, you know, can see them day to day. And then hopefully maybe they'll start searching up the CFL a little bit more. Right. And, and it'll be vice versa where we need to drive them up into that content. And then hopefully there's more content to drive back, back down to them. But, you know, it also starts with, people like yourselves doing more of these things, right? One of the things that, yes, the NFL has a big budget to be able to market, and so does the NCAA, but how many people are just out there promoting the content themselves to build a platform or to expose people to the game? We need more people just in the community talking about it, right? And that starts with stuff like this, I think, which is good. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I mean, the reason I'm in football or was is because of Andre Dury from the Argos and then Cleo Carter from the Argos going to a game. I had Andre Dury's jersey randomly because I was like obscure jerseys. It's like his rookie season. Brings <laughs> me down, talks to me, you know, form that bond. So it's the same, like you were saying, bring players to, to come out to practices or have, you know, the local team sponsor, the community teams. I mean, like I coach the, the Tobacco Eagles and we have, you know, people that used to play for us that are playing for Toronto. So it's obviously a, a no brainer to kind of put them all together and been trying to do that. But obviously, like you said, COVID put a halt to everything. <laughs> yeah. But we're going to, we're going to build, we're going to figure that out. We're going to you know get out of this. Honestly, I, I do believe that there is light at the end of the tunnel and a lot of people are working pretty hard to try to figure out ways to get kids on the field. You know, the big thing for us is, and I, I really believe this, the CFL is a crucial part for the success of football in this in this country. And although we could probably all agree that we would like more or to like to see different things out of the CFL, um, without that end pathway for Canadians to be able to go and move and represent themselves on their on their Canadian soil, playing a truly Canadian game, it's not played in any other country other than ours. Um, I think is incredibly important. So we as a fan base and as a football community need to do our part to support the CFL through this tough time that they're going through so that we can make sure, you know, guys like you've coached can have a pathway to get out and, and be able to do those things. Right. So. Well, I think you hit it on the head. Um, and obviously, as you said, let's get the boys back on the field and, once we've got that done, we'll get you back on, and then we'll come with some of the more hardball questions about how we can make things better once we know we have football back. Uh, but until then, for, for you and your team and everyone who's obviously putting in the hours to figure out the best way to return to sport, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. 
because obviously, uh, you know, the reason we're doing this is, is we love the sport. and We want to see it keep growing and give other uh, young kids the opportunities it gave us to uh, not just play the sport, but, you know, learn everything you can learn from the game and make the relationships that uh, you make and, and those bonds that last forever. Um, so, Aaron, we appreciate you so much for joining us today, kind of giving us an update of what's going on and a little peek into hopefully the, the future as uh, we, we hope it unfolds. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate you guys having me. Anytime you want me to talk football, and like I said, next time you can throw, yeah, like throw those hardball questions <laughs> as, as we get forward. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, take care.